there is a tension built into the Palm Sunday liturgy. I'm sure you've felt it before. I'm not sure if you've ever thought about it. But this is one of those liturgies that is such a contrast. It moves from the triumphal entry to the passion narrative. It moves from joy and celebration, singing all glory, laud, and honor at the beginning, to sorrow and sadness and despair as we lead, leave the church in a silent procession. But we start with celebration and rejoicing at Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem. And Luke is at pains to depict Jesus as the rightful king arriving at last. This is hinted at throughout the gospel, many places. We get a glimpse of it throughout the gospel narrative, but only here is it explicitly uh, stated. Just before this passage, actually, Jesus gives you one more hint that this is what's coming, that this is the conclusion we're supposed to draw. It's the parable of the talents. In that parable, a nobleman goes to a far country to receive a kingdom and then return. And so we get a little glimpse right before Jesus comes to Jerusalem of Jesus, the nobleman who goes to a distant country to receive a kingdom and return. Throughout the narrative itself, we get all sorts of glimpses, all sorts of little clues that, Jesus, that Luke wants us to see Jesus as the true king. Jesus rides on a colt, recalling the prophecy from Zechariah, Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey. Jesus is, in Luke's gospel, placed on the colt instead of getting on the colt himself, which suggests enthronement, that Jesus is being enthroned as king. And, of course, people spread their cloaks on the floor, suggesting, again, has royal connotations, laying them, their lives down before their king. And just in case you missed all of these little clues in the narrative, Luke gives us one more that's undeniable. He takes that beautiful verse from Psalm 118, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which is a pilgrim psalm. That's something that anyone going to Jerusalem could say, speaking of themselves, feeling blessed coming to the Lord's uh, to the Lord's city, to the Lord's temple. And he changes one word. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. So we see here a picture of Jesus, the true king, on his way. And the question is, how will we prepare for his arrival? And how will we respond when he arrives? For the last 10 chapters, Luke has been uh, narrating the story of Jesus' journey from Caesarea Philippi, right after the confession that Jesus is the Messiah, all the way down to Jerusalem. It says he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And throughout that narrative, Jesus is teaching his disciples what, it, what following him will entail, what it takes to follow Jesus. And as he's doing this, peppered throughout that narrative are nine reminders that his final destination is Jerusalem. He was on his way to Jerusalem, going to Jerusalem, on his way to Jerusalem. This passage uh, today is the last of those reminders, the last time when we see Jesus about to arrive in Jerusalem. And you can see the way the narrative is written, a growing tension, a growing anticipation and excitement for what is about to happen. It's building up to a climax. Even the name of the town that Jesus uh, comes to right before he goes down the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem, Bethphage, um, is a sort of parable. Uh, it's, it means house of unripe figs. 
and sort of suggests to the reader, to a careful reader, what is Jesus going to find when he actually gets there? Is he going to find people who are prepared, who are mature enough to accept him uh, for who he is? Or will he find sort of unripe fruit? So Jesus sends the two disciples. This is the preparation for the arrival of the king. He sends the two disciples to take someone's colt. You know, you park your car in your driveway and someone comes in, they get in the front seat, they turn the car on, and you say, uh, what are you doing with that car over there? Uh, but strangely, maybe, the people, he says, the Lord has need of it, and the people let him take the colt. Let them take the colt. Um, there is some historical precedent to this. Important historical figures, kings, had a right to conscript animals for their service. So if someone, an important figure, came in and said, I need to use this animal for my service, you, you were required to give it. So there is some historical precedent. But at a deeper, deeper reason, Luke wants us to understand that the real motivation is the Lord needs it. He mentions it twice. Um, the Lord has need of it. And this is a remarkable tru- truth if you stop to think of it. Not necessarily that the owners relent and give them his colt, but rather that the God who does not need anything from us, the God who made all things, to whom all things belong, chooses to work in this world through his people. Not like robots, not just making us do whatever he wants, but like willing subjects where a request is made and we have to either accept or reject. It's really remarkable. You've probably heard the famous lines of St. Teresa of Avila, Christ has no body now but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. And often this comes in our own lives, just as it does in the story today, through an individual or an occasion that resonates with God's will and purpose. Someone who comes and says, the Lord is doing some new work here. The Lord is doing something here. And we see it resonating with God's will and purpose, the kingdom of God coming in our midst. And our, our, the way that we prepare for the coming of the king is to always be ready to supply that need when it comes in the name of the Lord. So the disciples, the owners of the colt, and Jesus are preparing for the arrival of the king. Once the king arrives, there are basically two responses. You accept the king as rightful king, or you reject the king. And both are presented in the passage today. First, as a model for us, and then second, as a warning. The first is obviously accepting the king with joy, with celebration. And we see this in three ways in the passage. Jesus is set on the colt, the cloaks are spread before him, and people greet him with songs and shouts of praise. Each one of these is a beautiful image of rightly accepting, rightly uh, receiving uh, a king, but each one also gives us a way that we can enter into that same kind of experience in our own lives. Um, setting Jesus on the, the, the donkey, on enthroning Jesus, putting Jesus in the place where he belongs in our own lives is something that we can all do rather than relegating Jesus to Sunday morning or to some private corner of our lives. Uh, he belongs front and center, and so we have to consciously put Jesus where he belongs in our lives. 
spreading our cloaks before him, laying down our lives in his service. Um, the cloak was often a symbol of what was going on. In, the outer garment was a symbol of what was going on in the, in the heart, in the inner life. And so laying the cloak down was a way of saying, I'm laying myself down before you. And then, of course, the shouts of praise, glorifying and honoring God, um, the goodness and the truth and the beauty that we see in the world, naming it as such, calling it out. Um, this is one way that we can bring honor and glory to our King. So while that's a wonderful, proper model response, it's also possible to reject the King. And this is the warning for us. The disciples receive him as the King who comes in the name of the Lord. But notice there are some in the crowd who do not want to call him King. They say, teacher, tell your disciples to stop. Um, this recalls the parable just before where one of the responses was a group of those citizens of the king said, we don't want this man to be king over us. And as, as you know, we obviously know that that's the wrong answer, but we have to realize that that's a, a constant temptation for us to say, we want to be the ones in control. We want to be the ones calling the shots rather than placing ourselves under the authority of another. The last thing that Luke does here is really remarkable. It's beautiful. It ties it to the Christmas story. Um, in, that, in that phrase from uh, Psalm 118, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, Luke adds another little verse right after that. And it, if you weren't looking at the psalm carefully, you might think it actually comes from the psalm, but it doesn't. He says, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You remember back at the birth of Jesus, the shepherds are watching their sheep, right? Watching over their flocks. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. Now the praise of heaven resounds on earth. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Luke is connecting what's happening at Jesus' birth, why he came to be among us, why he came down at all uh, and took, took flesh with what he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. If you ever want a picture, a beautiful picture, uh, to go along with your prayer when you pray the Lord's Prayer, um, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, just remember this scene of Jesus arriving in Jerusalem because we do get a picture in which the, the rightful king is arriving and receiving the praise and honor and all's right with the world. Today we are called in this season of, of uh, Holy Week, as we begin Holy Week, to respond to the coming King and ready ourselves for his service. And yet there is a dark cloud growing over the scene of celebration. Luke reminds us that this triumphal entry takes place against the backdrop of the Mount of Olives, a symbol of the agony that lies between the King and the peace he means to bring to his people. Accepting Jesus as our king means following him, not only in shouts of joy and celebration, but also in the way of the cross. For we follow a king unlike any other, a king who came not to be served, but to serve, who became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.